your shoulders And all of the madness Has got you going crazy It's time to get out Step out into the street Where all of the action Is right there at your feet Well, I know a place Where we can dance the whole night away Underneath the electric stars Just come with me And we can shake your blues right away You'll be doing fine once the music starts Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out all of my written reviews there at Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to let you know that I do a film review podcast that covers brand new movies. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Just search for it wherever you're listening to this right now and you'll probably find it. Just remember that Quipster is spelled with a W instead of a U. Today, I'm going to be continuing and ending the three-part series in which I look at films of the 1980s in which a dance show, a television dance show, features as part of the main plot of the film. We've already looked at Hairspray and then Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And continuing on in the year 1985, we're going to be looking at Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. I mentioned it was 1986 last time. Actually, it's 1985 saw this film when I was oh, 14 or 15 in the theaters, and I came out of the theaters pretty stoked to have seen it, because it has all of the things that I personally loved at the time. You had your black exploitation movies, your kung fu movies, your R&B, hip-hop, breakdancing, all of that stuff I was really into at that time. So a film that really captured all of that, and it was pretty much aiming at my age range at the time. It really was the perfect film for me. As far as what I will grade this overall, I guess I'll let you know at the end of this review. It's a PG-13 rated film. It has violence, some sexuality, sensuality, and language. The runtime is an hour and 49 minutes. The cast includes uh, the two main stars, have only one name each, Timac and Vanity, and supporting roles going to Christopher Murney, Julius Carey III, Faith Prince, Leo O'Brien, and Mike Starr. The director is Michael Schultz, and the screenplay is credited to Louis Venasta. Now, as far as Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, kind of a unique title. I'll get into why the film has Barry Gordy at the beginning of it. It's a jumbled mix of a variety of different genres that I just mentioned. Very popular among African-American moviegoers, specifically here, Barry Gordy, who happened to be the king of Motown, the chairman of the board, so to speak, he lent his name and labels music to this film that blended that black exploitation, those martial arts films, the music videos that were popular at the time, and wrapped them all up into this fairly lowbrow but still quite entertaining action comedy that has managed to gain a cult status among action fans and aficionados of the 1980s alike. Timac stars as a young African-American Harlemite who is a devout student of martial arts. He lives Kung Fu. He breathes Kung Fu. And he's so entrenched in the ways of the Kung Fu warrior, he stands out in his predominantly black community for his lack of hipness and his Asian-tinged wardrobe. He even eats his movie popcorn with chopsticks. 
His name is Leroy Green, and Leroy is sent out into the world from his master teacher to reach the final level of his training to become a true Kung Fu master. And that involves a golden amulet and another Kung Fu master to find named named Sam Dom Goy. Now, meanwhile, Leroy's quest is detoured by constant disruptions by a neighborhood bully named Shonuff, who, along with his gang of thugs, they're terrorizing the neighborhoods. And Leroy happens to also get embroiled with an even bigger bad guy to confront, an amoral record producer named Eddie Arcadian, whose quest to get his girlfriend's video played on the hottest music show on television, hosted by singer VJ Laura Charles, played by Vanity, it causes Arcadian and his thugs to get physical. Leroy becomes Laura's reluctant bodyguard, and the sparks between them suggest that they might have something more going on. That's all the main premise of the film. All of those story threads come together into an action-packed finale. Now, I must admit up front here, despite what I had to say at the beginning of this, I actually don't consider The Last Dragon to be a good enough film that will entertain many outside of its camp-loving target audience. Now, speaking as someone who is actually in this group, I'm a lover of Bruce Lee, I love Kung Fu flicks, 1980s kitsch, of course. This has long been one of my favorite popcorn movies from my days as a teenager, seeing it in a theater with my friends. Now, although there are a few serious moments to be found within The Last Dragon, the emphasis that's delivered in the script by Louis Fanasta is on the goofy side. It knows that transplanting your typical Chinese revenge kung fu premise to the inner-city African-American neighborhood requires a bit of fantasy element to it, namely in the fact that nearly everyone is a burgeoning kung fu master. Veteran director here, Michael Schultz, who also directed such films as Car Wash and a whole host of other films, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. His involvement is a blessing. He's comfortably familiar enough with all of the various styles to keep control of the reins from beginning to end, knowing that ultimately all anyone who sees this film wants and expects out of it is an entertaining time. Now, interestingly, the film was originally released as Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, but that has the supposition that audiences might be drawn to the film because of the Motown music. And although there are some catchy tunes in the film, only DeBarge's top 10 pop smash called Rhythm of the Night would emerge as any sort of hit, pretty much negating using the longtime music man's name to promote a film that really didn't have a great deal in terms of great music to play on the radio. Now, Motown Records was not at the forefront of pop music during this period, and the lack of big talent, save for perhaps Stevie Wonder, is pretty evident from the would-be hit makers that are on the soundtrack. This is also in good part due to the mid-1980s emphasis on synth and drum machines, causing most musical acts in R&B at the time to sound pretty much alike Michael Jackson and Prince wannabes without the musical vision or talent. Now, getting back to the film, as far as the casting goes, Tymac never really caught on as any kind of action star. And that's kind of a bit of a quandary, given that he had good looks, a good physical makeup, and great athletic abilities. And granted, he may not have the intensity of a Bruce Lee or the acrobatic ability of Jackie Chan. He's perfectly cast as the shy but noble, reluctant warrior who finds the strength within himself to overcome the obstacles that come his way. Future creator of a martial arts fitness craze called Taibo, Billy Blanks, had been in consideration for the Leroy Green role, but inevitably Michael Schultz liked the natural innocence exuded by Tymac, whose shyness was helped by the fact that he had never actually acted before, and that was deemed necessary for the role to have that shyness. Former Prince protege Vanity is in the film, 
She compliments Timac well in the looks department, as she has a sensuality that translates well to the big screen, although she's not even close to being a great singer and perhaps even less so a great actress, she still is very memorable and appealing in this role. The real scene stealer, at least to me, is Julius Carey III as the supreme badass Shonuff, the Shogun of Harlem. He exudes a great deal of menace while giving the performance just enough over-the-top edge to make Shonuff as humorous as the rest of the film. Carey had no martial arts experience prior to accepting his role as Shonuff, but he manages to master the art of fighting without knowing how to fight, which is one of the lines in this film. Christopher Murney, he's the other bad guy in this film. He gets his share of scenes as the heavy-named Eddie Arcadian, although at no point does he come across as anything more than a Danny DeVito-esque Svengali with a Napoleon complex. As far as the kung fu that you get in this film, that those aspects are not exactly enthralling, but the build-up to the final showdown between Shonuff and Leroy does make their battle electric, almost literally. If you see this film, you understand why. The Eddie Arcadian subplot is a bit of a distraction from this momentum, but it does provide the impetus for all of the rest of the material. Faith Prince, who's also in this film, she gives an underappreciated performance as a Cyndi Lauper-esque singer whose wish to be a successful entertainer struggles with her disdain for Eddie's strong-arm tactics as her handler. In addition to Carrie's dynamite presence, I also have to say Leo O'Brien, who happened to be the real-life younger brother of rapper Master G., who was from one of the rap pioneer groups known as the Sugar Hill Gang, he scores up the most laughs as Freddie, Leroy's hipper younger brother, who becomes a mentor of sorts on what it takes to be cool to his older brother. Also much overlooked are the scenes of Leroy's family life and of the family business, the finest black-owned pizza parlor in Harlem. And those scenes are almost pleasant and amusing enough to wish that there could have been a sitcom done just about them, although Keisha... Knight Pulliam, who ended up becoming Rudy on The Cosby Show, would have been pulling double duty, I suppose, in that regard. The Last Dragon had originally been envisioned by screenwriter Louis Vanosta as a stage musical, only to change that into a non-musical movie script after his then-girlfriend told him that it is an homage to movies, and that's where the audience lies. So his girlfriend said, make it a movie script, and so he did. And his girlfriend also coined the name Bruce Leroy. He threw out some names of what the hero should be, and she came up with that. And he brought his own idea of the Shogun of Harlem. That came from his reading of James Clavell's bestseller, Shogun, at the time that he was writing it. Living in New York, Vanasta frequently would see the cultural mix among the people who swapped traditions. You had black youth who were into Asian kung fu films. You had young kids and teens in Chinatown breakdancing in the streets and rapping. Vanasta included all of that into the movie. He intended to direct the film himself, albeit with a little bit less Campy's take than Michael Schultz would end up doing. He shopped the script around for weeks before he finally got a nibble from a producer at Motown Records who brought in Barry Gordy to see if it could be packaged as a vehicle to sell their own records. Michael Schultz was brought in to work on rewrites to make it more of an emphasis on a musical odyssey, and the rest was history. The Last Dragon would be a minor hit at the box office in 1985. It lingered in the top 10 for six straight weeks. It ultimately took in about $25 million on an estimated $10 million budget. Critics were not big fans of this, but the fans of the movie ended up becoming bigger and better over time. In TV showings as well as on home video, it would become a favorite. And it's still a favorite to this day. It's a known film 
among many who love films of the 1980s especially. And despite all of that, though, it would prove to be the last film venture for Motown Records, whose financial struggles would continue to keep them from taking the kinds of risks that originally made them a successful label back in their heyday. The Last Dragon, as a film, it's dated to a certain extent, but really that's the main appeal. It captures so much of the 1980s in this film, and if you're nostalgic for the 1980s, it really is a film that covers a lot of territory of the kinds of things that you find appealing going back to the 1980s today. If you're nostalgic for the times when breakdancing and boomboxes and arcade games and music videos were all the rage, not to mention kung fu and hip-hop and all that, there aren't many that can entertain the action movie buff as well as what you would find in The Last Dragon. So I'm going to give The Last Dragon three and a half stars out of four. Three and a half stars on my scale means that I do think this is a good movie. For a long time, I probably would have classified it as a three-star movie, and maybe that's what I would give it to most people who are not really big fans. But given that this is a film review podcast covering the 1980s, I think it's great fun, and I definitely do recommend it quite strongly for those people who like these kinds of movies. Three and a half stars out of four for Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. So although there are a couple of other films I could have chosen for this trilogy, we'll get to those at some point in another context later on. We're going to move into another trilogy of films thematically in our next series, and I'll get into what the context of that trilogy is for next week. But I will say next week's show will be another Michael Schultz film that he directed in 1985, somewhat similar in many regards to this one because it had an association with a record label called Def Jam Records, although it wasn't called that in the film. The record label in the film is called Crush Groove, and that is the name of the film itself, Crush Groove from 1985 for our review next week. If you haven't caught that yet, I definitely do recommend checking that out. And you'll get my review of that to compare to your own in a week's time. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. If you did, I do encourage you to take a look at the totality of my reviews. I'm fast approaching 60 reviews just for this podcast alone. Click the subscribe button if you haven't done so already. And until next time, thanks for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. 